morning welcome to the ask podcast i have two really good and close friends with me today roger armstrong roger hello morning paul and paul paul brown how are you hello very well how are you yeah good thanks all good well apart from everton all good <laughs> but we're going to get into that now um roger a little while since you've been on the airwaves uh, at least as far as i know i don't think you've done many podcasts in, in recent times certainly none so far this season um how are things yeah, well, personally, or with Everton. <laughs> well, if you want to talk personally, you can talk personally. But I was, I was thinking, given that most Evertonians are listening to this, we talk about Everton. Yeah, sure. Um, I don't know. I did a, um, I did a bit of a review with the Bobblers, with um, Witch and with, with, with Sarah towards uh, in, in, in June, just as a bit of reflection, but nothing uh, in this season. Um, how are we doing? Well, we haven't got any points. Um, We've sold our best player. It looks like we're about to sell our second best player. Um, we're in the news more for players we sell rather than players we buy. Um, and I'm at a bit of a loss, really. Um, obviously, there was euphoria staying up at the end of the season and a massive Frank loving over that. And I'm still, still a fan of Frank. He's an intelligent guy. He's a very likeable guy. But I... Um, Frankly, I frankly, <laughs> excuse me, but um, I, I do feel increasingly disconnected from the football club. Um, I don't really understand what we're trying to do. Um, I, I don't see a discernible style of play developing. Um, and I'm not sure where the next goal is coming from. Um, and I sense, if I'm honest, I sense a bit of a sea change in the in the fan base or a changing of the guard, if you will, where, where people, people like me, people of my age, people of my ilk and experience who've seen us be successful or at least competitive, are just turning off from Everton. I was talking to a couple of the founders of When Skies Are Grey the other day that they haven't even watched the first couple of games because Everton's just not a good watch. There's no inspiration. There's no um attraction there's nothing to get excited about what are you going to say to your young kid come on let's go and watch Dwight McNeil I mean he's all right but we've lost Richarlison what's going to happen with Gordon I'm in a bit of um a bit of a state of limbo but I do feel disconnected and I think you know there's a generational thing going on with the fan base where you know the, the, the almost 28 seasons without a trophy there's a whole generation growing up and a second one coming behind that just don't associate Everton with winning things and therefore think that just staying alive and existing is, is good enough and having a little bit of fun along the way. And that's not that's not the Everton I recognise or identify with. OK, well, you're still engaged enough to come onto a podcast, which is is good. So, well, um, 
it's early it's early in the morning and uh, I'm, I'm i'm happy to offer an opinion every now and again excellent well thank you thank, thank you thank you for being here um paul uh, you were uh, last time actually last, last time the three of us got together we spent about an hour talking about frank lampard and um i think the one phrase that i remember from that was that uh, we'll win a few games we'll lose a few games and we won't draw many um, because that's the way that frank lampard um, plays do you still stand by that? Yes. Um, I think that he kind of proved that was the case during his, his time at the end of, of last season. They, they did either um, scrape together a win or get beaten quite heavily. And I do <laughs> yeah, think it's true. because of the, um, the the way he set them up and the way he was trying to get them to play. Um, he's someone who likes to play quite up-tempo, quick passing football, breaking the lines quickly, um, and having a go at teams, which is a lot easier to do at home um, than it is away from home, especially in a, a struggling team, which was low on confidence. And, and I remember back to the the game they played at, at Spurs that, that I was at, and, and you could see after 10 minutes that, they, that Spurs were going to wipe the floor with Everton if they carried on playing like this. It clearly wasn't going to work, and he just refused to change it. Um, it can be hard to, to bring that kind of style in halfway through a season when you've got no pre-season to um, bed it down and get the players used to it. And they just looked to me like they were trying to do what he wanted, but rushing everything and not really understanding where each each piece needed to move on, on the pitch for it to work. So I think it was a very risky kind of football to bring in. The kind of football probably that, that Everton and, and its fans traditionally like to see you know high tempo in your face sort of football is the kind of football he wants to play but at that stage in the season it was it was a dangerous thing to do and it very nearly cost them a place in the Premier League ultimately he did keep them up so he did the job that that was required and I think he's realized that um, there are certain little tweaks that that need to be made to the system and the and the formation and the personnel clearly this season which is why we've seen a slightly different Everson to start the, the season. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, actually one win is better than two draws. So if you win one game out of three, it's better than drawing two and losing one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, 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 it's interesting. I, I, I think there has been a change. Um, I mean, obviously on, only on the evidence so far of two, of, of two games uh, this season. Um, but I suspect also, actually, if you think about it, looking at the certainly the games in, in the US... There's been a change. What do you, would you go along with that? That he's sort of, sort of adop, adopting a more, um, one could hardly say defensive, but a sort of more um, pragmatic, uh, less adventurous style this season. Pragmatic is definitely the word I was reaching for as well. Um, but I think that's dictated by circumstance. I think um, losing Richarlison, who was who was the spark really that tended to ignite them in in most games towards the end of last season. And not having Calvert-Lewin around means that they are very lightweight up front. They don't carry much threat at all. And he seems to have uh, fixed on having a, a, a three at the back um, as well, which obviously you would hope makes them more, more solid and secure, but doesn't necessarily um, help on the, the attacking side of things. So I think he's, he's realised they need to change somewhat. I think you're seeing also a slightly more patient Everton 
Um, as I said before, I think they, they just rushed through things all the time too much last season. They were so keen to break the line and go forward and attack at speed that it only took one misplaced pass to allow the, the opposition in on their on their back four one-on-one. And, and that was a huge problem that the transition game um, really hurt Everton last season. And I think he's tried to stop that um, by telling them to do things slightly differently. I, I don't think you see um, a player get on the ball in front of his back four and, and, and immediately stab it forward as, as quickly as he can. I think they're a little bit more patient in possession than they were, which is probably the right way to go, I think. Hmm. Roger, Roger what, what's your, your impressions for, you know, after the first couple of games? Um, well, first couple of games, um, I mean, we were, we were toothless, weren't we, in both, until we decided that we, we'd actually try and play with a focal point at the top of the pitch. Obviously, Rondon wasn't available for the Chelsea game. Um, I think Cody's a very interesting one because I like him as a player. He fitted in beautifully at Wolves. I remember talking to some Wolves fans at, at, we met in the, in the pub before we, before we played them a couple of seasons ago. And they said, you've got to pressurise Cody because all he does is he drops back into the pocket and he pings it out to the wing-backs and we attack from there. And we didn't and Wolves won the game. Um, now, now, I don't think we have the same quality of wing-backs that Cody was used to working with at Wolves. And one of the things that happens when you play him in a three is that we naturally sit quite deep and we almost invite players onto ourselves and we're playing with the ball very, very deep, sometimes inside our own penalty area. And if we can't get out, we are immediately, immediately at risk of conceding a goal. Now, it hasn't happened yet. Um, and I like what I've seen from Tarkovsky and I think Cody can provide some composure. But if you're going to play with a back three and effectively a back five, and then you're going to play two holding midfielders. Unless we get permission to play 13 in a team, you know, there's only three attacking slots left on the pitch. And I, I, just, I just don't see, of course, we're going to struggle against the Cities and the Liverpools and maybe the Chelsea's as we, as we did. But, you know, we're going to have to win games of football. We're going to have to play on the front foot. And I just don't see how five at the back and two holders really helps us, you know, dominate a, a game at home against a Brentford or a Fulham or, you know, Nottingham Forest who are, who are coming to town on, on Saturday. I guess we'll see, but what I don't understand is for all the comings and goings, for all the need to sell Richarlison, why we still haven't managed to secure an attacking a, a central striking option in the transfer market. And it's the, whatever it is today, the 17th of August. I don't, I don't understand that. Don't understand why it hasn't been a priority. You can't bank on the fitness of Dominic Calvert-Lewin, especially after his record last season. And if our only other option is Rondon, God bless him, we need cover. And, and if we weren't going to find someone, then we shouldn't have loaned out Sims. We shouldn't have loaned out Dobby. Uh, you know, I, I feel for Frank because, you know, he hasn't he hasn't got those attacking options at the top of the pitch. He can permeate, you know, whether it's Gray, whether it's, um, you know, Gordon McNeil, whoever is wide players. But a central striker, you need a focal point and, and we haven't got one. So I just I think that's where our, our football is very, very stale uh, and, and, and very lacking in, in any kind of creative spark and goal threat. One thing I would, I would say about Cody and the, the three, it can work as an attacking system. And I think um, the one thing that, that some, some fans might be forgetting is that Cody is something 
that Everton have been looking for for a very long time. Um, they haven't had a defender with that kind of passing range for years. And I can remember right back to when they were trying to sign Gabriel Magalhaes, who, who went to, to Arsenal, that one of the big things they were looking for about the profile of centre-back was someone who, who could ping a 40, 50-yard ball across the pitch. They, they identified him as someone who could do that. And, and they didn't really manage to fill that slot um, in, in the intervening years. Cody is someone who can do that. Part of what he what made him so successful at Wolves was that he, he is someone who can bypass midfield and, and ping one out a little bit further up the pitch to, to get you moving in, in, in a more direct way. Um, I think if that's done right and they don't overuse that, that could be quite a potent attacking weapon for Everton. I don't know if we've seen it very much so far, but obviously Cody hasn't had that many games to, to bed in yet, so we'll see. Um, he also provides one thing that I think was severely lacking across that that back three, back five, back four, whatever you play. Um, in terms of leadership, I think he's a, a, a brilliant organiser who never stops talking on the pitch. And that is another thing that Everton sometimes lacked over the last few years. So I think he could actually make a, a real difference. Um, the point about dropping deep is an interesting one because in a way, if you drop deep and you have someone with that passing range, that actually helps you because it allows you to spring um, a counter-attack more effectively and, and more um, um, more directly if, if you have that space for uh, your, your forwards to, to run into. And also, you could argue that most of Everton's centre-backs are not exactly blessed with pace and that playing a high line with them and pressing teams high further up the pitch might not be the um, the most sensible way of playing. So depending how they use that, I think having Cody could make a big difference to Everton and it could actually help them in an attacking sense as well. Um, the point about the striker is, is the, the big one. It, it's clear that it was a, a priority for Lampard um, and when Richarlison left, it clearly became a, a bigger issue. I think he, he clearly, he, I think he made it clear Lampard to the board that they would need some kind of forward, centre forward who could play both with and uh, occasionally alongside Calvert Lewin. The problem with that is there aren't many around really. Um, I, I think one of their biggest targets, Broger at, at Chelsea, was was a player that. Everyone who who has been looking at has just had to wait and see what what happens there because Brody wanted to leave, but it wasn't going to happen until he sat down and had talks with the manager at Chelsea. That happened while they were away on tour, and now he's starting to play in the team. So I think anyone who was was waiting for Brozier, um, hoping that they might be able to get him, is probably is probably going to end up disappointed. It, that that might still happen, but. I think the argument is, did they wait too long for a player like Broja? Should they have had other irons in the fire? Should they have signed a player by now? Yes, probably. Um, but it did seem as if Broja was their number one. What about the others? What about the likes of Dennis, um, uh, you know, from, from Watford who's, and, and Cornet from, from, from Burnley? Cornet going to West Ham and uh, Dennis going to Forest. Well, I think there's a there's a financial problem there, isn't there? I, I think having spent some of the money that they did on on other players, I'm not sure there is the the funding there to to make a a, a significant signing in, in terms of financial uh, outlay. Um, all the deals they've done so far this this summer have been quite smart in terms of when they pay, 
or how much they pay. But I think there are, there are limits to how far you, you can push that. And probably without another sale, I'm, I'm not sure you'd be seeing Everton make a, make a signing for, you know, a, a substantial fee uh, by the end of the window, un- unless they can structure it in the way that they have with other deals. Whereas, you know, if you pay maybe a small sum up front and then pay the rest over several years like they've done with Onana. I don't think that kind of deal was possible with some of the names you just mentioned there. And that's why they had to abandon the hunt for some of those players. Yeah, I think that's definitely a factor, Paul. Um, I think, you know, there's a number of reasons behind that, obviously. Uh, one, we're still loss-making. Two, we've got a stadium to pay for. And three, nobody's quite sure as to what Mashiri's real intentions are any longer, given that, you know, it's easy to forget that only six weeks ago, the club was still supposed to be have been sold to somebody else. So the idea that he's going to be liberal with um, his funding in the future, I think, is, is, is a bit of a fantasy. I know on the um, Onana signing, uh, Ken Wright had to get Mashiri to sign it off. Even even though the, the deal the deal is you know very nicely structured from Everton's perspective in terms of relatively small amount of money paid up front, and then the rest of it paid o- o- over a period of time, it still required Mashiri's um, <clears throat> direct in- intervention in order in order for it to happen, um, and for it to happen again without there being a sale and, and a significant sale, even though there's an absolute requirement for it to happen in, in footballing terms and no doubt in terms of what Lampard wants. Uh, is difficult to see, which then I suppose leads on to the question, well, if we need to make a significant sale, what who is going to be the person that, that is sold? Uh, two weeks ago before DCL got injured, we would have probably said uh, that DCL was still potentially going to be sold. Who too is an interesting question. Um, but obviously that's now off off the table, even even if he has returned to light training now. It seems unlikely that he will he will be fully fit and would be able to be sold before the end of the transfer window. So, you know, who who are we left to sell? Well, they, really, the only person that might be considered surplus is is Gordon. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone at Everton wants to see the club selling young players like Anthony Gordon, but. Um, from from a, a, a purely a ruthlessly financial perspective, he, he wipes out a lot of the problems really in one transfer, doesn't he? Because it, it's basically all profit, um, which would make a huge difference to the, the balance sheet. I'm, I'm sure you can elaborate on that better than I can. But um, you know, to, if they were to accept a, a huge fee from Chelsea for for Gordon, I suspect they, that you would see them sign. Um, a better calibre of player towards the end of the window that, that might solve some of the issues that they have. Um, it's just not a great look to be letting your, your young players go elsewhere. Um, you, you could argue that clubs like Everton have to do this. To, it, people will complain that you know nobody wants to be a, a feeder club, but part of the business model is to develop young talent and sell them at, at, at a premium. It's all about how you reinvest that money. Um, I think if the right deal was there, I think Everton don't really have a, a choice but to, to take it. And, and Chelsea know exactly what position they're in. So I think that's the reason why you're seeing them push so hard on Anthony Gordon, personally. I, I, I understand all of that, the economics of it and the finances of it. Um, 
but what I'm finding pretty distasteful is this peddling of a narrative that Gordon's pushing for the move. I think I think mm. that's reprehensible. I really do. Um, I, we heard all of that bullshit about Rooney, um, and I don't know why we've come back to playing that game again with the fans. I think there's been that's what I, that's what I meant earlier about a bit of a changing of the guard in the fan base because some of us can see right through that. Maybe those of us that are a little more distant, a little bit less emotionally connected, perhaps in the short term, don't perhaps go the game as much. I don't know. But I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty poor form for a kid who's 21 years old and who might just be making a £50 million don- donation into the football club. Um, let's just be truthful, can we? Let's not, let's not start peddling a narrative, whether it's through you know, briefing friends in the media or, 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 or other sort of controlled communication that, that he wants to leave. Um, he's a professional footballer, for God's sake, and he wants to do the best he can in his career. And if Everton can't meet those ambitions, it doesn't matter whether he loves the club. He's a professional footballer and he wants to do what's best for Anthony Gordon. Um, and, and I don't think we should be positioning him as disloyal in any way. I won't. I won't go into whether um, it's true or not that that um, Gordon and his people told Everton that he, he wouldn't be signing a, a new contract because I, I don't know the ins and outs of that. But I will say that for that to come out um, does suggest that he, he's going to be leaving this summer. Uh, whether, yeah, of course it does. It's just messaging. Isn't yeah, it? It's just trying to soften the blow. Well, possibly, yeah. I mean, whichever side was happy for that to to come out into the, the public domain, I think it it certainly suggests that the, a way is being paved for him to leave. Yes, it's. A, I, I suspect, and I'm not supporting the club in this. In a, it's also a negotiating tactic. So that what well, the well, effectively they're saying to the market and saying to Chelsea, obviously Chelsea will see through this, but what they're saying to Chelsea is we're, we're not willing sellers. Mm. Okay, the player wants to wants to leave. You know, this is the narrative. The player wants to leave, uh, but we're not winning sellers. So, uh, if you if you if you want to buy him, it's going to cost you more than it would do if you wanted to sell him. No, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, Roger, um, and I don't believe it neither. But I think that as a selling club, that's what you have to say. Um, well, I, I disagree, actually. I think you could come out quite forcibly. Frank is a strong-willed man with credibility, and I think you could come out and say, he's not for sale, he's not going anywhere, we want to build a team around uh, Anthony Gordon, this is what I came for, sell him over my dead body. He's an absolutely wonderful footballer, um, and unless you come up with something stupid, and stupid will probably mean 80, 90, 100 million, he's staying here. Now, well, I mean, do, you think, do you think Everton are in a position to turn down upwards of, of 50 million for, for Anthony Gordon, though, really, realistically. You know, and this is what I hear from other people. Are we in a position to? Are we in a position to? Well, you know, just hold on to him. I mean, he's our player. He's a good player. I know the stats aren't, you know, you know, he, he had six goal involvements, or however those are defined, you know, and he played nearly every game under Lampard, but he's barely played 50 games of first-team football in the Premier League. Mm. Um, he, he's a raw talent and a good season this year as the main man with the number 10 shirt. You know, he could easily score 10, 15 goals and then you are looking at 85, 90, 100 million pounds. Is he going to get game time at, at Chelsea? Really? Is he? Um, I think Frank, you know, if, if we had Sam Allardyce as manager or if we had a, a perhaps a European manager who didn't really have the credibility and, you know, understand what it's like to develop as a young player, I would have thought we should be using Lampard to sell both to Anthony Gordon, his people, 
and then be saying it to the outside world. He's not for sale. He's absolutely not for sale. Get lost. I mean, what you're saying Man City can turn down if somebody comes knocking for Phil Foden. What can they turn down? 100 million for Phil Foden? Yeah, there's got to come a point where we stop this nonsense. But, but obviously it hasn't. Obviously, nothing that's happened in the last six years since Mashiri arrived has changed the narrative that our best players, you know, I'm not likening him or, or drawing a direct comparison with Rooney because obviously Rooney was you know, one of a kind, one of a generation. But come on, let's at least make more of an effort. And I think a better negotiating position is to say, no, he's not for sale. Go away. He's not for sale. Not, oh, he wants to move. He's pu- pushing for a move. Because all that's doing is trying to just make the fan base turn on him. And, you know, it's just, that's just really, I think that's really quite sort of underhand. Well, I, I don't, I don't Roger, like it. In, in a sense, what you just said was said on the 13th of July. Uh, yeah, absolutely. L- Lampard said he's going nowhere. He's yep. our player. Hugely important thing to be. He's the sort of thing we want to build for going forward. I'm delighted so he's changed? got number 10. I want him to continue to earn it. Yep. So what's changed? Well, let's come out and say it again. You know, for, for, we just... <laughs> but it, he's, it, he's, it, an employee, he's an employee of the club, Lampard. And he, as much yeah. as there are rumours that he had a bit of a showdown with the board at the end of the American trip and said, if you don't back me, you know, I'm out of here and I'm going to tell everybody exactly what the club, what's going on at the club... Um, the, the practicalities of the situation are is if we need if we want to have a recognised goal scorer given that we don't have one in the squad and given that any perspective uh, any uh, possible goal scorer has now, has now been uh, lent out to other, other teams if we, yeah. want, if we want one we need to sell somebody that's the position the club is in yeah yeah I mean, that, 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 that's, that's the reality. And it's just, that's why, I'm, that's why I said at the start, I feel more disconnected than ever because that's inevitable. We can all see through that. So, so why we're having to put up with this nonsense spin that Gordon's a bad guy because he wants to leave and he's pushing for a move. If Gordon wasn't pushing for a move, okay, we'd stick with Anthony and we wouldn't have a centre forward. So in some ways he's doing the club a bloody favour. You know, and we've heard this. We've heard this nonsense before with Stones, and we've heard this nonsense before with Rooney. You know, it's just—I don't. It's it's so predictably depressing to be in 2022, and and to still be having to sell our assets and to be having arguments. What well, the club can't afford to turn down a massive fee like that? Well, you know, for once maybe we could, because we're only ever in the news for selling, not buying players. M- M- Mashiri said in 2006, in the summer of 2016, you know, this is not a club that's going to sell. Um, it's best talents. Yeah, so he hasn't sold Stones or Lukaku or <laughs> Barkley or any of these people, did he? You know, I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And, and why people can't see through it, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know whether people are resigned to it, whether people just need positivity in their lives, which I completely understand. Life's tough, particularly tough at the moment, tough economically. And, 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 and people want the best. They, they want to believe in their football club. I get that. I get it completely. But... You know, the momentum, any momentum has gone from any of the protest campaigns, from what I can see and what I can hear. Um, and, and, and now we're all meant to be very, very excited because Ken Wright's back involved with transfers and we're doing really clever things. And Thelwell's following the process. Now, Onana may well be the second coming. He played 10 minutes and he looked rather good. Um, but, you know, it's one player. It's one player. And I go again. 
Who are you going to say to your kids growing up? You know, apparently the plan for Everton now, I heard last night, this is just, this made me want to just, uh, I don't know, give up. I heard Gary Neville say, Man United is the only club in the Premier League without a plan. Well, it's not because it's Everton. But I did hear what the plan is last night. That Everton's plan is to stay in the division and get the stadium built. I mean, wow. How inspirational is that? When that stadium's built, and if we have managed to stay in the Premier League, if you're trying to get your kids to come along and watch Everton, or you're trying to build a supporter base, you know, how, how are we going to compete? How are we going to grow our fan base? We haven't got any players that people want to go and watch when we sell all our best talent. How are we going to, how are we going to do that? How are we going to fill Bramley Moore? How are we going to get executive boxes sold when we haven't got any players? We've got a load of journeymen, all doing their best and keeping us 12th and defining that as progress. It's just deeply frustrating. I think this this summer's recruitment has been has been a little bit strange in in many ways. Credit where it's due, they've done some some great deals, and for the money they've spent, they've brought in more players than I thought they would be able to. Um, probably you could blame the fact of Calvert Lewin's injury for the the reason why they haven't pushed harder for a striker. It's, it seems pretty clear that they were going to go hard and, and heavy on Calvert Lewin, try and rely on him and that anyone they brought in would, would be second fiddle or, or someone who could play maybe alongside him for, for some games. But as soon as Calvert-Lewin went down, it became clear that they would need something a bit more than that. You could argue that um, the money they have ended up spending on, on players like Dwight McNeil and um, Onana, who I must admit does look like a very good player. I was quite impressed with him when he came on, despite the, the mistake that, that led to the goal. Um, you, you could argue that the money spent there should have gone on on a striker, on, on a proper proven goal scorer, because that was a bigger need in the squad. Um, that, that's, um, that's one criticism you could make. But from, from a wider, from a slightly wider perspective, I'd really like to know what Everton are recruiting for. Are they now recruiting for a, a 3-4-3 or, or some other kind of system? It certainly looks that way. But if you're recru- recruiting for a, a 3-4-3, you're only playing two midfielders and you're, you're relying on the three centre-backs at times to, to bring the, the ball out, right? And if you're only yeah. playing with two midfielders, why are Everton still trying to buy midfielders? They have currently six out-and-out midfielders on the box, on the books, plus Iwobi, who's currently playing there. Um, and they're, they're about to buy another one in, in Idrissa Gay, which is on paper a great signing. But for, for a club in, in, with, with a lot of financial difficulties who, have, who has too many players on, on the books in, in some areas and needs to get rid of some, having seven midfielders for two places in the team doesn't seem like good business to me. I, I find that very strange. Obviously, they're trying to shift people like Alan, Gomez, presumably Gabarmin as well. But it's incredibly risky to be adding to the wage bill, an already incredibly high wage bill based on wages to turnover ratio, um, when, you're, when you haven't been able to get rid of, of those kind of players in, in that area first. I find that it's as if um, all these great deals that, that Everton are doing financially, because you know, Anana is a great deal because we haven't had to pay much up front for him and we can spread it over five years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it feels like Everton are getting what they can on the market rather than what they need. And I still think, despite having 
seven midfielders if if you um, assume that that Idrissa is is going to get done. I still don't think they have the right balance in there or or a player that would give them the balance because I still think Everton needs someone who is just going to sit, someone with a a kind of Gareth Barry profile who has a a range of passing, plays that first ball out of defence, whether it's a short or or a long ball, but has the discipline to to just sit and anchor. I I don't really think any of the midfielders Everton have fit that bill. I think they're all players who like to go and attack the ball or have more of a box-to-box profile. So it, it... it surprises me they're still buying midfielders and I can't understand why the money would be spent there in, in this way when they clearly need a, a striker now more than anything. And what are we going to have to pay for Idrissa to get him back? I saw something last night, was it Paul Joyce, something about £8 million that we're going to have to pay for him? Is that true? I, it, it's possible. It's not going to be a, a whole lot of money, but I, I think that the key thing there is that he wants to come and it, it was more about... Um, <laughs> PSG letting him out, if you know what I mean. They, they had a, there was a dispute there between him and, and PSG about whether he'd be allowed to leave and, and on, on what terms. Um, I, I don't think you'll be seeing Everton spend a whole lot of money on, on Idrissa Gay, but but I come back to this point. I just I think he is someone who likes to go out and win the ball. I don't think he's absolutely someone he who, doesn't who sit sits in sits in front of the the back four. I don't think he has a huge range of passing really either. He's he's more of a He's more of a box-to-box player like Decore and like Onana as well. They're all very similar. I don't understand why you need so many midfielders of the same type in your team, especially if you're playing a system where only two of them can play. (laughs) It all comes back to, uh, you know, is is there a strategy in place? They talked about this, um, what was the word that they used? Sort of more inclusive they used a collegiate, a collegiate approach, Colleg- and we'll collegiate be adopting approach. a pragmatic because of, because after the strategic review, they've learned they've learned their lessons. Um, whatever. I, I, I suspect, and Paul, I, I know occasionally that you uh, speak to uh, Mashiri's people. And sorry, I, I hadn't asked you before whether you have recently or not, but um, I suspect one of the features of the window so far is uh, the lack of involvement from from Mashiri. Is that a sense? A wider is that in the context of a, of, a, of a wider sense of his lack of interest, i.e., he wanting to move out or away from the club, or is it actually part of a, you know, a concerted effort by the people within the club to draw back from the mistakes that we've made in the past? I think the the fear is that that, there, that it could be as a result of a, a lack of interest. Yeah, um, it, it's clear that he was open to to selling the club and had made his decision that. Um, he couldn't take it any further. Something's obviously changed. Probably the fact that he knows he can't get any anywhere near the kind of price he'd want to make it worthwhile yeah. selling. Um, the, the, the problem with Mashiri is he's, he's is, is that he's so erratic. So, you know, I, I could say one thing, and then in, in a week's time, he could turn up at the end of the window and tell him to go and buy another Iwobi. So, it's, it's difficult to know really whether he has taken a conscious decision to to back off a little bit in the transfer market or whether he's just not taking so many agents calls because he's got other things on his mind. Mm. Um, I think only time will tell really on, on that, but it, there is, it, it is certainly the case that Mashiri is not driving the, the transfer policy at the moment. Personally, I think that's probably a good thing, but the scattergun approach and the, 
the lack of clarity on, on what kind of system or what roles they're recruiting for suggests that there's still more, more than one person signing players at the club and that the manager is maybe just saying yes or no to ideas that come to him from, from different areas. And, and if that is the case, that's not a, not a very professional or clever way to run a, to run a football club. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I had an indication, certainly earlier in the summer, that whilst Thelwell was having a high degree of influence on sort of the, you know, the structure of the football club and certainly in terms of the academy and uh, how the academy was going to be managed, uh, separating the roles in terms of under-23 coach, etc. He was doing a lot of work there and he was doing it well and he was quite happy doing that. That there wasn't the same degree of influence over transfer uh, policy, let alone um, scouting and finding players and then negotiating players. I mean, it's clear that whoever's done the negotiations in the past, predominantly Bill Kenwright, one suspects, uh, that that continues uh, to this day. And, and the club are happy to say that, which seems um, a, a strange thing, uh, again, in terms of communications from from me. My, my biggest fear, and you know, we're we're just talking here. My biggest fear would be that we, for example, we sell Gordon in the next sort of few, few days, say next week or so. That leaves us a week, just over a week left in the window. Um, we don't secure any targets in the first sort of two or three days of that second week. And then Mashiri gets impatient because he knows there's a bit of money in the, in, in the kitty. And he, mm. and he then picks up the phone to Keir or to somebody else and says, you know, let's do the type of business that we've done previously. Yeah, that, that could very easily happen. That there is the danger of that too. I do think on the on the the Thelwell issue, um, he's he's clearly not a European heavyweight like like Marcel Marcel Brands. He came from a club where transfers were were basically run by um, uh, by by a super agent rather than than through him. Um, it's a situation he was used to and, and fairly comfortable with. And whether he's comfortable with this situation at Everton, I, I don't know. He hasn't made any noises that, that he isn't. But I, I certainly think that one of the reasons they decided to bring him in was, was because of that. I think they knew that a, a figure like that would allow the chairman and others at the club to have um, the influence they wanted over things like like transfers. So... I think that's one of the reasons he's there personally. Yeah, he's he's, he's a fit into that model, isn't he? Yes. Um, the other thing that I, you know I'm aware of that having been in the Premier League at Wolves and then he went to, to New York, he was very keen f- for quite proper reasons and uh, both career and family reasons to move back to the UK, and clearly joining Everton if his career is going to be seen as a success, he wants to spend some time at Everton and, and, and be an influence in the areas that he can influence as against perhaps thinking this isn't working. I'm going to walk away because obviously from a career perspective, having come back to the UK and then only having spent a short period of time here, that wouldn't look too good on on his CV. And, and people would rightly ask, ask questions of that. So I suspect He's not quite in control of his own, but he is in control of his own destiny in the sense that he can, he can stay or he can leave. But if he stays, he's not necessarily in control of what he does day to day. So who are we saying is putting Che Adams, Neil Mopay and the like on a list of 
players we might be interested in. Is this Kenwright? Is this Lampard then, if it's not Thurwell? Are we just looking around? We're looking on Fantasy League and seeing who the other strikers are and seeing who we might fancy. I would love to know the answer to that question. We can't, we can't be 100% sure, unfortunately. Um, but everyone knows that, that Everton basically don't have a lot of money to spend. And, and, that, and those are the kind of names that are going to come up when you don't have a lot of money to spend. Um, I, I did at, at one time consider Mope a possible signing in, in that um, he's someone who, who could play more than one position. So you could have him starting up front when Calvert-Lewin's not around. You can have him playing a bit wider when Calvert-Lewin's in the team. You could even have him playing deep in, in either situation. And that he might have been quite useful as a, as a signing. But I, I think his, his personality and, and temperament could be a problem. Um, yeah. So, Jay uh, Adams, I don't think he's ever going to be prolific in, in the Premier League. And some of the, the names that have been suggested from teams on the continent also don't look like they'd be terribly prolific here either um no but, but no. i just I, I find it hard to believe that everton are going to pull off a, a really exciting striker transfer before the end of the window unless they can do something like sell anthony gordon because the money just isn't there to buy that caliber of player so mm. at, at the moment they're only trying to find someone who is going to be a secondary option someone who can come in and and play a few games when calvert lewin's not around um or do a better job than Rondon of coming off the bench. I, I, I doubt you'll you'll see Everton linked with many exciting names on the market, really, in, in, a, in any realistic way. So, so let me put it another way, because this this becomes like um, this selling your your best players just becomes endemic. And and how do we think if Gordon does go, and we'll, we'll come to that, as, you know, absolute willy or won't he question in a moment? I, I suspect Paul, but you know, if he does go. What does that do to Dominic Calvert-Lewin's motivation and ambition? What does it do to Jordan Pickford's motivation and ambition? Um, because, you know, coming back partially, you know, he's been injured, coming back in whenever, perhaps October time. Um, you know, is Calvert-Lewin going to be feeling it and really wanting to deliver because he's excited to be playing alongside Mope or Adams or Dwight McNeil or whoever it is? You know, his mate Richarlison's gone. Anthony Gordon's gone, let's say. What's that going to do to his valuation? What's that going to do to his performance uh, and, and his motivation? And furthermore, what's he going to do to Pickford? Because does Pickford really fancy another relegation scrap? You know, he's England's number one. He could be a World Cup winner inside six months. Do you think he's going to hang around much longer if the club keeps selling its best players? If they were to use the fee in the right way, they could end up being a better team without Gordon than with him. I think well, it, it all depends we know how that. they use that. I think that yeah, it all of course depends how they use that money. Of course, but it's, that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? And, and none of us have a great deal of confidence in them doing it because at the very least what will happen is we may secure £50 million and, for example, we'll buy two players for £25 million. You know, Actually, we could have got earlier for 15 or or 12 because people see us coming and because we're so desperate to get a striker. So it's all very well and good to say, wow, 50 million, we can't turn it down. But if for our 50 million, we get 30 million pound worth of players, then crikey, what's the point? Or what are we going to do? Are we going to sign five, 10 million pound players? What was it? I mean, Spurs, wasn't it when Spurs sold Bale? Spurs sold Bale for whatever, 80 odd million, wasn't it, to, to Real Madrid? Yeah. And, and absolutely <laughs> blew it up the wall, didn't they? They signed like six players, all of whom were rubbish. 
mm. um, and that, that, that they went on some kind of supermarket sweep. Do you trust the club to spend the money properly, both of you? Let me ask you that question. No, I don't, but I do think Anthony Gordon is, is not um, Gareth Bale and the, the kind of fees being being quoted is, is just difficult for a struggling a club that's struggling financially to turn down. That's all. It may be that, that we have to trust them to try and find um, a player or, or players that makes the team stronger in, in the short term. And, and while Gordon could develop into an £80 million player, he certainly isn't at the moment. Um, I don't particularly want to see him go. I think I'd be very sad. To, to lose a, a player like that, that that's the exactly the kind of player that Everton should be bringing through, nurturing and, and watching grow at your club. Um, but I think that the, the financials are going to dictate this one, frankly. And Paul, course, do you trust them to spend uh, well, the money wisely? <laughs> no, um, simple answer. I'll the, 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 the answer the question saying the, the interesting point, of course, is that some people will view this as a... Um, as evidence of the club doing good business, as, as evidence, of, as evidence of the academy doing its job, you know, absolutely bringing a player. Did he, did he join Everton when he was eleven? I think so. He's been here nearly ten years, and you know, generated forty-five, fifty million pounds worth of profit out of um, out of out of him being here, uh, and that will be a strong part of the narrative. Hundred you know, percent, uh, no doubt. I say I say no for for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, the, the system's not it's not clear what the system is in terms of who's responsible for transfer biz, business, uh, who's involved that aren't footballing people, and, and you know, uh, Mashiri's talked about the board being involved. Well, one could argue. I can, I can see the reason why you might say that because uh, to a potential buyer of the club. Uh, to the potential finances of the stadium, to the bankers that we owe a lot of money to at the moment. He's got to give some comfort to those people that things are being done in a better manner in which they were previously. Whereas from a footballing perspective, what you're wanting to hear is that the director of football and the manager and that you know quite, quite extensive team that they've got around them uh, are identifying players and negotiating hard and getting the players that we want. The big mystery to me uh, is why are we so crap at scouting? Absolutely. It's a great point. It's why, a great point. Why is it that everybody, I mean, you know, I, I know very little actually about football, but I can, I, I, can, I can identify who the likely targets are for Everton. Uh, I know very little outside of, outside of Everton about football generally because I'm just not interested in, in other, other teams. Um, so I know who the players are that we're likely to be linked with and the people who are likely to come. Where, where's the hidden gems? You know, the ones that uh, Steve Walsh was supposed to have found in 2016. I mean, it's just, it just hasn't been at the club for as long as I can think. Well, but until going back to the Moyes days, actually. Well, Absolutely. what we don't know is, is are, are those scouts putting forward those kind of names, but are, are there views being overlooked or overruled by people above them certainly in, in, in previous years and in, in previous windows there were several different people at, at Everton with different agendas pushing different players um, and I, I don't I suspect that not many of those players were being put to them by scouts they were being put to those those people by agents yeah um, yeah I, I think probably it's, it's the structure rather than the rather than any um, I wouldn't like to blame Everton scouts. Let's put it like that, or Everton scouting as such. It, it may—I think it's people higher up in, in the 
system there that are more to blame for for that than than the the scouting side of it themselves. Um, and then, Paul, yeah. just to be fair, because I think a couple of people will contact me after having said the scouting is crap. Um, the uh, the end result of the scouting is crap. Yes, so, the, scout, the scouting isn't empowered, is what you're saying, and that's why they're it's so not effective, is it? Whether whether or not they're finding the right players or not, yeah, um, that's then not translating into in, into into transfer in, into action into transfers. Um, and, and that's one, where the argument that we're now taking a collegiate approach and we're all being very pragmatic is seen to be complete and utter bullshit because the same people are pulling the strings, the same people are making the decisions when scouts may well be coming up with bright new midfielders from Belgium or Poland or Portugal or wherever they are. And we're not looking, we're not prepared to risk two or three million on them. We want the tried and trusted Premier League players. You know, we were given this drivel that we want young and hungry players. Well, I'll, I'll accept, you know, Onana and maybe Dwight McNeil, but there's nothing young and hungry about Connor Cody and Tarkovsky and they're probably the two most effective signings. So please don't tell me the strategy is to hire young and hungry players when it patently isn't. Well, and that, and that brings us quite nicely to, to Deli Alley, I think, because another, <laughs> another player that not many clubs were, were chasing who suddenly became available in, in the window and Everton saw a deal that was too good to, to say no to. But wouldn't you rather have seen um, a young, hungry gem from, from Europe identified by the scouting network who, who might have a, a big future in the game come in? Wouldn't you rather have seen Everton, you know, plonk a couple of million down for for a player like that than, than someone like Deli Ali, who is a, a reclamation project and, you know, has gone off the boil and hasn't been the player he, he was for years because it, it does look like Deli Ali's leaving and, and he's leaving having really contributed very little. Um, I, I looked up his stats last night and he's, he's played 363 minutes for Everton and, and appeared in 13 games without contributing to a single goal. Um mm. He hasn't always been terrible, but it just, again, smacks of, of a who can we get rather than who we need kind of signing. Um, the, the, the deal ultimately offered by Spurs, they obviously decided was, was too good to, to ignore and they decided to take a chance because they weren't um, having to put down much money for him. But I just think, you know, considering he's going to cost, considering they'll owe Spurs 10 million um, I think once he's played seven more matches, I think that's I think that's the case. You, you just can't justify spending another ten million on on Deli Ali because it, it hasn't really worked for him. Um, and I had my doubts that it would work at the time. I, I, I thought maybe that Lampard might be the the right person to to bring that back out of him. But there had been several years at Spurs when even Spurs were getting fed up with it and and were struggling to um, get him back to, to what he was. I spoke to somebody at, at Spurs who, who who worked there for a long time and knows Deli Ali very well. And, and it, I think his opinion is right. He, he told me that when Deli Ali came into Spurs, he was this young, hungry guy coming from a, a, a lower league team into a dressing room full of stars with a massive point to prove and a chip on his shoulder. He basically came in with a bit of a swagger and said, I'm going to show you all I can live with you. And he did. But, he, but then he made it. And unfortunately, whether it's gone to his head or it, he started to believe his own hype too much, the hunger has gone. That's, that's what this person basically puts it down to. He says he, says he, thinks, he thinks the hunger has gone in, in Delia. And it's hard to argue with that 
really. He's got nothing to prove to anyone anymore. He hit the heights, the millions came his way. Um, and where he used to be the, the guy who would lead the press at Spurs, whose running stats were always at the, the top of the, the game. And he, he was the guy who got them up the pitch and the spark, like like the spark for us last season was Ricarlis. And that, that's fallen away in quite a dramatic style over the last few years. His, his running stats are down and you just don't see the, the same kind of energy from, from Deli Alley. You haven't for a long time. I think possibly he's, he's lost his edge a little bit as well. Gary never once said that, the key to to Deli Ali was that he, he always played a little bit nasty. Um, that he played on the edge, and okay, he might might be in danger of getting himself sent off once or twice. But that was the kind of um, energy that he brought to a team. But he's he's basically been non been non-existent, been a non-factor for for too long. And I don't know that that Everton can keep relying on him to to give them anything. I think having to pay another 10 million for him now would, would be quite foolish. So if they were to let him go, I think that's, I think that that would be the right thing to do. It would free up a space in, in the squad. And, um, you know, hopefully the scouting network can identify someone who, who might have a bigger future than him. That player that you described there, Paul, you know, who's lost all his energy and made it, came in with something to prove and then kind of just gave up once he'd proven it. Sounds a perfect fit for Everton, doesn't it? Because that, well, that sadly, just, it does. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that just sums up the football club. That sums up the football club. We're in the Premier League. We exist. So long as we're here, it's fine. We 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 don't need to push it. We've got no ambition. We've got no desire to improve. We're not going to keep running. We're not going to do the hard yards. We're not going to put in the, you know, what's needed to actually compete. Because at the end of the day, we're Everton, and maybe Delhi just struts around going, "Well, I'm Delhi Alley." I mean, he he had a great impact the second half against Crystal Palace. That was there was a, there was a little spark there of a player that we we once knew, um, but that was it. You're absolutely right. Very very disappointing. He's still marketing the third shirt on an email I've just received, but Anthony Gordon is still marketing the the home shirt. So what do you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, Pochettino was the the big believer in Delhi Alley and, and got got the best out of him but even he in, in his book back in in 2019 was was worried about uh which way Deli Ali's career would go um and, and he wrote some some quite interesting stuff about the, the dangers of who you have around you yeah um and and he, he wrote about how he was worried that Deli Ali might forget what had got him to this point and that he, he had to, to take him aside that season and, and remind him several times that there was story. I heard a story about him basically staying up all night before a big Champions League game on his PlayStation and that he didn't, didn't have a particularly great game as a result of that. Whether that's true or not, I, I don't know, but I've certainly heard stories like that about him. I've, I've, Pochettino was worried that he, he had the, the wrong influences beginning to whisper in, in his ear while he was at Spurs and, I think it's very sad where he's ended up. I'd love to have seen him get back to the kind of form that, that he showed when um, when he was one of the best young players in, in England at Everton. But I always feared that that maybe those days had, had gone. And it, it looks to me like Deli Ali needs a, needs a completely fresh challenge in, in a new country, in a different league where he has different voices around him and he, he might be able to show some of the some of the passion he used to have for the game because for whatever reason it's completely gone out of him and I think that's a, it's a terrible shame and a big waste well Turkey, the Turkish league will certainly liven him up there's a few people playing on the edge there indeed it's interesting Paul that you say that Pochettino in his book said what he said um, there's that video 
of uh, Mourinho talking to a very young Deli Ali about, I think, I think Mourinho said he was 58 at the time, so you can work out how long ago it was. Um, and being 20 was only yesterday. <clears throat> and that you know, your time at the top is very short in life. Mm-hmm. And to make it was effectively saying you know, you have to make make sure that you you make the most of it, and that you know when you get to my age, him being fifty eight at the time, you have no regrets. And it's difficult to see uh, the current Deli Ali not getting to fifty eight and, and not having regrets. Well, he called no. him out, didn't he? he? Called him out as lazy in that Amazon documentary, and um, that was like the moment. You know, you're a really bad trainer, Deli. You're lazy. Um, whatever you think about Jose, he knows he knows a player when he sees a player. Um, you know, so I'd, I'd take his opinion over over anybody else's. Frankly, it's very hard to get that that drive back when when you lose it. I think, especially when um, you know you you started your career and you hit the heights quite young. When, when you get to his age, he's twenty six now. It's very hard to to rediscover that to rediscover that hunger. Um, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I do think a lot of people make too many excuses for for Deli Ali. I know he's not played um, many minutes in, in each game for for Everton. I think the most he's played is, is sixty seven. I, I, I saw, um, and I know that under a succession of managers at Spurs, he was hardly a, a regular. But let, let's get one thing right: he was given a chance by all of those managers at Spurs. Everyone who's come after Pochettino has tried to get the best out of Deli Ali. He, he was starting games for Antonio Conte for a while. Um, but the, the way he left Spurs and the deal they were willing to accept for him tells you everything about how much faith they had in him ever rediscovering it. Because if you ever thought that, that Deli Ali was, was going to turn back into the player that he once would, you wouldn't have offered Everton the terms that they did that window. Um, yeah, they just wanted to get a shot, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they made a decision that this asset was no longer a viable asset for us. It's, it's a liability. Um, yeah. Let's get him off the books. And if if it turns out well for him, then we get a return. If he carries on the course that he, he had previously, then possibly we, we won't get a return. But at least we've got him off the books. At least, you know, it's, it's, a, it's another wage saved. Um, I, I think it's difficult... To, it's difficult to criticise the club for taking him in the first instance and for negotiating the deal that they did um, because it was it, it is effectively a, a no-cost option other, yeah. other, other than his salary. I suspect the problem is, is uh, we've got no leverage in terms of how to get him out of the club. Uh, and, and in the absence of somebody in Turkey you know, taking him on a loan with an option to buy or an obligation to buy then he's going to be another player that sits on the books and, and doesn't contribute because we're not going to play him. Mm. Which then... 100%. You know, if, if, he, if, he's, if he claims... He's, it's an interesting point. Um, you then get into some form of legal considerations as to, uh, you know, are you denying the person the right to earn his living if you don't play him, if he's, if he's totally fit? Um, so it's quite a, it's quite, I think it's quite a tricky position for the club to be in. And it can only really be solved by uh, by moving them on, which means that you know literally we have very little leverage in whatever deal uh, is put in place to move them on. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, 
you know, everyone was praising the, the club for getting the terms they did at the time. And, and you have to say, you know, as almost a free hit, it, it was a, it, you could argue it was, it was good business. I, I just think that Everton are a, a team that, that needs to be looking for a different kind of player really than, yeah. than a guy like that. I, I think they were, they were too ready to accept what looked like a, a brilliant financial deal on, on paper for, for someone who was very unlikely to ever return to the kind of form that, that made him great. So maybe that was a little short-sighted. There's also the interesting point um, that Brands made since he's left Everton about players coming into the team or coming into the dressing room who were perhaps on, I'm not saying Deli Ali is quite on two or three times what other players are on, um, but he's going to be relatively well paid, uh, certainly relative in terms of Everton's uh, pay structure. And to have players like him who perhaps aren't putting in the hard yards, aren't training as well as they should do, aren't looking after their bodies, aren't being as um, professional as they possibly might be, uh, again, is not a great influence in the dressing room, is it? No, no, you're, you're right. Um, you know, we're, we're speculating that he's, he's not a great trainer at Everton, so I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't like to sure. say that, that he isn't. But certainly, if you're going to turn up in a in a Rolls Royce and you, you're going to live the the bling lifestyle, you certainly need to be proving that you deserve it. And I'm not not really sure that what he's done on the pitch. Um, has been enough to, to show that he does deserve those things, personally. Who was who the United player that turned up with a, in a Lamborghini? And um, I think, I can't remember, a bit of a non-story this, because I can't remember who it was. Um, <laughs> but the senior players told him to go and <laughs> um, park it somewhere else because he didn't he didn't deserve to... Um, he, he hadn't yet proven he was a good enough player to, to turn up at the, at the, dress, at the um, training ground with a Lamborghini. Uh, I'll have to dig out the story, but it's it sort of tells you of the, of the mentality that, um, that that some clubs have and others don't. Absolutely, you know, so you have to earn these things. Delhi Ali certainly did did earn all the trappings, but unfortunately, his form for the last three years hasn't um, been anywhere near good enough for a, a player of his reputation. And unfortunately, that, that's when people start to look at those things in your life. I think it was Juan Bissaka. It might have been actually, Roger. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I wonder if this is a feature of, uh, of will become a feature of modern day football that young young players, especially players who start their careers very young, generate so much wealth in the early years that the motivation to continue playing, you know, until you're 35 or whatever, um, for some at least, will disappear. Not not for everybody, obviously. Some people will be totally professional and just put the rewards to one side. But if you get to the point where you're financially secure for the rest of your life, and perhaps you're not that motivated about football anymore, then it is one of the concerns that people must have about the way that um, football players are paid. I think the ironic thing is that that's, that's one of the reasons that, that Deli Ali made it, because he, he had to force his way into people's um, consciousness. He, he did go through the the hard yards. He wasn't given a yeah. ball as a, as a young player. He had to really earn it. So, and once he did, you know, he, he became a big star. But he's someone who didn't go the the normal route. And there probably are a lot of of young players at, at clubs all around the country now who who are in a system that rewards them so early that they 
they don't have that that hunger and determination to make it. You you could make a living having never played a first team game as a professional footballer these days. You're you're given so much so early that maybe some of that hunger is taken away from you um, at, at too young an age. Yeah, and uh, you know that that's been seen at Everton, hasn't it? Not necessarily uh, them lacking the hunger, but uh, players who have just come in and then for whatever reason, some of them injury, but others. Uh, just because they were not good purchasers, just basically sitting on their contracts and seeing their contracts out. You know, and the, the comments that you made before about having seven midfield players, <clears throat> three or four of them uh, probably fit that category that they're, they're not either not wanted by the manager or they're not at the standard that's required or that, you know, that they've had former injury problems, whatever. Mm. And it, it is impossible um, to move them on because these people are on career high earnings and, Frankly, why would they move uh, unless they were going to get something similar elsewhere? That is the problem. Which, you know, all comes back to how important recruitment is and how, uh, you know, it'd be great if there was evidence that the club had a system, had people that were doing it properly. Um, I suppose at the end of the day, results, results tell you whether that's the case or not. No, I agree. Yeah. All right, gents. Uh, we've been talking for an hour or so. Uh, should we finish with predictions for the season? <laughs> well, let's do, do short term. <laughs> let's do short term. Is Gordon staying or going? And if he goes, who are we getting in? A couple of names from each of you. Oh, uh, um... Not what you want, what you think will happen. Okay, well, while Paul's thinking, he, uh, yes, he's going. And who do we get in? I have genuinely, genuinely no idea, Roger. Well, I think he'll go. And I think as a result of him going, part of the deal will be that we'll get um, Billy Gilmore as part of the deal with a minimal value. We may or may not get Broger on loan as part of the deal too. And I think we'll end up with Neil Mope. <laughs> well, if, if that was to happen, that would be a, that would be a, a, a very good outcome, in my opinion. But, but some some may disagree with me. I, I think Gordon will go. Um, I'd like to know how much money Chelsea are actually offering up front, and how much of it is in add-ons and, and incentives, depending on what Gordon does. Because I'd be very surprised if. Chelsea were actually bidding around fifty million for for Anthony Gordon as a as a set fee. That that would that would surprise me greatly. Um, but I think that kind of offer is is going to be too good for for Everton to turn down in, in their situation. Um, because we're coming towards the end of the window, I think that the the better striker options available are people who might only be available on loan. But I don't personally see that Broger is leaving. Chelsea now I don't think that's very likely and I don't think either Everton or Chelsea want to include another player in, in any deal for Anthony Gordon it wouldn't make a lot of sense really for for Everton Everton need the money um, I think we'll get towards the end of the window and Everton will spend some of the Anthony Gordon money on a striker but it won't be a big star name it'll be a kind of Che, che Adams type striker and I think they'll they'll possibly bring in at least one more loan as well. Um, who that is remains to be seen, but I think possibly the Harry Winks ship has sailed as they're now looking at 
seven midfielders on on the books, so that that one probably isn't going to happen now. Okay. And where do we finish the season? Everything for Everton really depends on how fit Calvert Lewin is, how many games he plays, and whether the system suits his his style of play. Um, if it comes together and Calvert-Lewin plays the season, returns to the sort of form that we know he's capable of, I think they'll be comfortably mid-table. I wouldn't expect any more than that. But it's a big if, and I don't see them at the moment bringing in a striker who is guaranteed to score them the kind of goals that Calvert-Lewin would. So I think they'll be in some serious trouble if um, he doesn't return to fitness and, and start scoring goals again. Paul? Uh, well, I, I said in, in the Observer that I thought that we would be 12th. Um, I think uh, that's possibly slightly optimistic, given where we are now. Um, and I'm almost at the point where I think uh, we probably need uh, 12 wins uh, out of our remaining 36 games. So that's one, one win in every three games. Um, and that'll be enough to keep us up. And that's about the limit of my expectations. about you, Roger? Um, I think we're better than Bournemouth and I think we're better than Southampton. I don't know about any other teams. So I think we could finish 18th. I think we could finish 12th or 13th. You know, I think there's not much between us and Fulham, us and Brentford, us and Forest, us and Palace. Um, So Paul's right. It depends on whether we can get goals. It depends whether we can keep clean sheets um, and actually get a style of play and some players who fit into it rather than needing to be shoehorned into it. I think Onana could be fantastic um, and and could give us some real momentum going forward, getting the ball out of defence, driving forward. I can see that being very exciting. Uh, but I think, I think Gordon's a big loss. I think Gordon is a very, very big loss. He can play on either wing. It's a good crosser of the ball. Um, I think he's very difficult to replace. And, 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 you know, I watched the Chelsea-Tottenham game and Richarlison changed the game in the last 10 minutes when he came on. We miss his energy desperately. Um, and I fear for us this season. I really do. And I don't think we're sleepwalking into it. I think we're actually, I think we're quite complicit in it now. This isn't sleepwalking. Um, first time in how many years we've lost both games? 13, um, 13 years, I think. 12, 13. Yeah. Um, I think it's, uh, as I said at the start, I appreciate fans want to see positivity and I respect their views and everybody's opinions on players will, will vary. But this squad is currently much weaker than it was last season and last season's squad survived on the second last day of the season. So you draw your own conclusion. One, one final thing I'd say on, on Gordon um, that probably hasn't been said yet. You, you mentioned energy. There, there were times last season when um, there were only really two players at, at Everton who, who never stopped running, trying, driving, bringing that kind of energy. And, and it lifted not just the team, but the crowd as well at times. And, and you could say they, they both played a massive part in, in the club yeah. staying up. Yeah. Um, regardless of, of how many goal involvements, if you like, because I know people will, will, will point to, to Gordon um, not having enough of those, but those two players were Richarlison and Anthony Gordon. 
it was no it was a surprise to many people that uh, just just how many games a player as young and, and raw as Gordon was was Everton's best player on the pitch simply because he 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 was willing to constantly drive them forward drag them on keep running be a nuisance um he he just i think that's what really stood out in that team because there were a lot of other people who who maybe were playing with with some fear in the bones and and i didn't see much of that from from Gordon that that's what really impressed people last season and that's why Chelsea are sniffing around him to lose both of those players I think would would be would be a pretty big thing for Everton I think it it would be hard to replace and that's why I think it it comes down to how fit Calvert-Lewin is going to be and and whether he scores goals this season as to whether they replace that kind of energy and drive they'd be losing Very fair Yeah fair points Paul fair points uh, gents, thank you so much, both of you. Um, um, I was going to ask you another question, but I'll, sa- I'll save it till the next time that, that we, we, we get together. So um, thank you both. Uh, difficult times, and let's see, uh, let's see how it goes. What else can we say? Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel like making some grand <coughs> statement about you know what's going to happen to the club. I think there's so many variables and so many... Uh, problems that are yet to be solved and the idea that uh, the people that run the club are currently the people well, the people that run the club are the people that can solve these problems and um, to me is a, is a huge mystery but there we go you can only start solving the problems when you recognize they're there and um, there's quite a bit of head in the sand going on again isn't there at the moment and until you recognize those problems are there and you commit to changing them and those problems are twofold, the owner and the board. And until both are replaced, I'm sad to say that I think the club will drift and hopefully remain in the Premier League um, with the prospect of brighter times at Bramley Moor. Yeah, well said, Roger. Paul, thanks very much. Roger, thank you. Enjoy your day. Pleasure. Thanks very much. And um, we'll speak soon.